Hello, everybody. Welcome to Coffee Time with Crystal. I am your podcast host, Crystal Riley. My purpose is to help people live in freedom from shame, guilt, and condemnation. We are starting off by doing radical stories of forgiveness. I am excited. My profession is I'm a realtor. I'm a mother of two teenagers and a wife of almost 20 years. I have a couple pretty powerful stories of my own about radical forgiveness and how I forgave my sexual abuser from my childhood. I am so excited to get to be on this journey with all of you. I look forward to meeting you and interviewing and helping you break free from the lies, guilt, shame, and condemnation that holds us back from what we're called to do. All right. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening, wherever you're located. And whenever you are listening to Coffee Time with Crystal, I am your podcast host, Crystal Riley. Um, I am a realtor in the Reno, Nevada area and a coach with Growing Into Grace Coaching. And I am here with Kathy Lucas. With um, She is an advocate for the Re- Resiliency Foundation. Um, and so Kathy, welcome. And I'm glad you're here. Hi, thank you for having me. Yes. Um, so you, we, we just got to spend a few minutes talking prior to um, hitting the record button and you were sharing how you were um, a child bride and how you became um, an advocate for the Resiliency Foundation. Can you share and give us a little bit of history about um, your family history when, as, as you were growing up and then what led you into uh, being a child bride and at what age was that? Yes. Um, I was raised in a very conservative, uh, very large conservative uh, family from Appalachia. Um, we moved to Indiana when I was in grade school, but a lot of that culture, of course, remained with us because most of us moved together. So my grandfather and father didn't have to work in the coal mines any longer. Um, we were also very uh, part of a very conservative fundamentalist religion. Um, I won't name the church, but it's it's it wasn't as much the church as it was the influence of the teachings of um, uber conservative women's roles, very strict women's and men's roles and identities. And um, girls were just raised to be moms and um, servants to their husbands. So it was very common in my family, mostly to get married young. Um, A lot of people in our church here once we moved to Indiana, that wasn't as common in the church, but um, in Appalachia, where I was born and where all my family was raised, I that was very common. I have cousins that also got married. I think I'm the youngest. Um, I was 14 when I got married, and okay, I was 13 when I started dating him. He was 19. Okay, so you were 13 when you started dating. So you did have a dating season. You weren't just tossed into the marriage how does how does so help me understand how that works in that culture um that you that they prepare you to meet your spouse at 13 years old and then into getting married at 14 um I wasn't I wasn't groomed uh necessarily for that at that age I was just Um, it was seen as very safe for a girl to get married. It was very safe. They wanted us to marry in our church. We weren't allowed to um, date or, um, and I use date loosely 
I mean, at 13, you know, after having children, um, that's not really, you know, it wasn't really like you would think of teenagers in high school and things like that. Obviously, you couldn't drive, but um, I was, um, because this, this man went to our church, um, like I said, he was 19, but he was, he was an adult man, which is the case with most uh, child marriages as younger girls and adult men. Um, I was allowed to date him because he was seen as, um, he was trustworthy in the eyes of the, you know, my mom and my family, because he was in our church. That didn't mean he was, but he was seen that way because the people in our church were, were seen as, let me back up. We were raised to believe that people outside our church were, or was very, could be very dangerous because it was led us to the possibility of being led astray or, um, it was, I was just raised in a, in a culture of fear, um, everything from God to people outside of our religion and, and even, you know, family to a great degree, because my family was so large, um, that was my primary community. And I really hadn't been, I did go to public school, um, then, but I only went to eighth grade. I got married the day I should have graduated eighth grade. Wow. Okay. And so how, so he was 19. How did, um, how did you meet him? Did your parents meet him and then introduce you guys or how does that happen? No, I met him at church. Um, he was one of the young people at our church and we had, you know, Bible study groups, um, Sunday school, you know, type things. And, um, that at that point, our church wasn't that large. So there weren't that many young people, you know, we all were each other, but he was way older than me because five years at, you know, at 13, five years, five, six years is a di- big difference. That's a big difference. Right? You know, you're 25 or 30 to whatever. That's not that big of a deal. But when you're 13, 14 years old, five years is a lifetime of difference. Right. Um, but he, um, you know, he asked to like sit by me at church and, um, things like that. We would kind of sit back and, you know, behind our parents and things like that. And then he asked me to go on a date and I was 13. Of course I wanted to go. Here was this older guy. And, you know, so my dad wasn't part of the church. He, he was not at that time. Um, he, but my mom said, allowed it. And I went out with him the first time on Thanksgiving weekend. And we were engaged six weeks later on my 14th birthday. Wow. And you were married at 14? I was married at six months later at 14. Wow. And then, I mean, if that was, if that's how you're raised, that that's the norm, right? That's, well, I mean, wrap least, some people's minds around it, but if that's yeah. in your, what you're raised around, it's probably the norm. It was starting to not be the norm so much because we did, you know, we did live in Indiana, but we did have a huge history of that. It was very generational in my family. My mom was like 16, her mom, my grandmother, we don't even know how old she was. We don't, I don't even think they have a birth certificate for my grandmother, but it, we put, we think she might've been 13. Um, but my grandmother had birth 12 children before she was 30. Wow. And so, you know, like I said, it's cultural and generational. And as a lot of things are, um, 
the generational aspect um, of child marriage is the effects of it are generational. Um, right. Even if the tradition ends, because it did end with me as far as I had other cousins that came up after me that were fairly young. I think there was a couple, maybe one more that got married at 16 um, after I did, but it, it pretty much, you know, phased out after I was at the very end of that um, cultural norm in my family. Yeah, my, my, go ahead. Yeah. I don't think it was our norm. I think that there was something you said about it being generational. So, you know, my mom was married really married at 17. Um, and I have a couple siblings with my biological father, but um the the norm for my family, and not because of religion, it just was just their norm was mm -hmm. the, the getting married at a young age and then having children. Um, I didn't get married until I was almost 25, I think 24. No, I was 24. And then so I've shifted them and my daughter is 19 and she's thankfully not married yet. So right. um, it's just interesting. Well, I think that, you know, the, the farther we go back in time, the more common it was to be married young, mm -hmm. you know, back when, so, you know, 17, 18 was not uncommon right. Um, right. at all for both parties. And that's, I think that's important as well. Um, and it's but, still important. But 13, 14, I mean, that's, that's a child, right? You're, it is a child. You're, you're a child. Absolutely. So, it's very interesting. Um, so you got married and then you moved in with him, I'm assuming. Mm -hmm. uh, the first time I lived away, off the street with my, most of my extended family, when we moved to Indiana, we all moved to one street, one street. <laughs> a very urban West side of Indianapolis. Um, we, we took up, we took up the good part of a city block. Um, nice. so it was almost a communal style living. My grandmother lived next door to us and my, you know, I had aunts across the street. My uncle was down the street. Um, my mom's younger siblings still lived at home. Um, their backstory is more fascinating than mine even, but <laughs> that's, there's, you know, there's to tell quite most of it. But, uh, but when I got married, we moved several miles away. Um, I could walk home, um, it was quite a walk and it wasn't the best neighborhood, um, you know, but I was probably, I don't know how three, four miles, which could, I didn't have, like I said, I didn't have a driver's license. So um, it might as well have been, it felt like it was across the world. Right. And that's when reality set in. It, it set in before that. And um, part of it was back to the courtship dating part when he asked me at 14 um, to marry him. Um, my family didn't, I wasn't forced, I was not forced, but I would say I was unprotected at least um, because I was 13, 14, and okay. this, this guy wanted me to marry him. And at first I said, yes. And mainly, I mean, this is full honest, you know, disclosure. I, he had, he was very, um, like I said, he, they trusted him because he was in our church, but he was very, um, handsy. <laughs> I'll just say. Um, and when we would go out, my mom let us date unaccompanied and we'd go to the movies and things like that. And he, um, 
he he would he touched me under my clothes and so I felt obligated to marry him because I to me that was sexual contact and I didn't know any different and I was taught that if you had sex with somebody you had to marry them them. and so he held that over my head and then once we were engaged and we got permission from my mom to get married from my parents um he I tried to back out several times in the six months from January to June. And um, I, because I would go to school, my friends, my teachers were, would be like, this is not okay. This isn't normal. Like you're going to high school next year. You need to go to ball games. You need to be a, you know, a kid, you're a kid. Right. And um, I was raised in a very um, worker bee <laughs> community where, um, you know, everybody, all the women cooked and took care of the babies and, and we live very close knit and everybody was in everybody's house and, and watch, you know, taking care of everything. So I had skills, you know, I had, um, I did have those skills, which I would say in child marriage, mine was probably best case scenario, which is one reason I try to share my story because there's so many horrific stories. And as far as those go, if you're going to put it on a scale, you know, mine doesn't seem so, may not seem so bad, but it still has its own traumas attached to it. Yeah. The best case scenario still, even though I had physical skills, no 13, 14 year old, 15 year old needs to be running a house, a whole household, um, managing money, you know, helping with is what access I had to the money. Um, having a baby at 15 while I had no legal rights and that's what people don't get is as people kids who get married under 18 they have no legal rights their their husband or their the adult in the situation becomes their guardian and they can't get a divorce can't even go to a domestic violence shelter because they're under even though they're married Yes. So would they have to get emancipated to have those rights? It doesn't automatically mean that they're emancipated, which is, which is weird. I guess I would have thought if you got married at a a young age, it would technically emancipate you. Well, that's a little tidbit. Okay. My husband had to withdraw me from high school and he had to sign for my driver's license. He had to, um, he had to sign for my, for when I had my daughter at 15, um, he had to go with me and sign for me to get prenatal care. Wow. Okay. And um, like different states can have slightly different caveats to those laws. Mm-hmm. But it, it's still, you know, you are an adult. You're not a legal adult. You can't sign a contract. You can't. Um, it's, it's. So even though you're married, you can't like go and buy a house if you're, you know, your partner or your husband was, wow, that's just so crazy. Right. We I actually was... bought a house when I was 16. Um, we bought our first home because, or no, I was 15 because I was pregnant with my daughter when we, but I couldn't be on the loan because I was only 15. So I could get married, but I couldn't be on my own home loan. That's so, so it's so mind blowing. Um, okay. So uh, you shared in the pre-talk that you were married for 15 years. So, and you had three children. So do you want to share, uh, take a couple minutes and share, um, what that 15 years was like, and then maybe a little bit about why you decided to get separated and, and lead us into that. Okay. I, the 15 years was, uh, very traditional. 
like I said, we, and within a few months, we moved back to the same street with my family. So that helped um, me emotionally and with, you know, the baby, because I had a baby, I had my daughter a year after I was married. And um, so that made it more um, tolerable. Um, he wasn't physically abusive at the, um, he did before, during the divorce, he, once he did get physically abusive because he didn't want the divorce. Um, but he, um, it, like I said, very traditional. I wasn't old enough to get a job. I tried to get a job the first summer we were married that summer. And I went to fast food restaurants and they're like, you're 14. You can't get a job. You're too to get a job. You're married. So economically, um, there was no options. And then by the time I was 16, I had a baby. I'd had my daughter. At 17, I had a miscarriage. 18, I had another baby. And then at 21, I had a third child, my, my son, Jake. And um, it, well, like I said, very traditional. We were not um, close as a couple because I, you know, I went back home, basically lived next door to my parents became part of that. And that's what, that's what sustained it for 15 years. Um, was the, and we were not allowed to get a divorce because I was still in that church and that church does not sanction divorce. Um, and they would have allowed it had I proved he was, you know, had had an affair or something like that. Um, but that was the only exception was if one of the partners was unfaithful. Was unfaithful. So, it's it was not even if you did it when you were a kid and you had no idea what you were doing <laughs> and you tried right. to get out. Like I tried to get out of it several times between the quote engagement and when we got married, I tried to break off. How, how did, how were you able to finally get out of it? And how long were you, did you continue into that, into your religion and cult, that faith? That I left the church, that church before I actually got a divorce. I went when my when my youngest child at the time, Jake, when he was in when he was a, a toddler, um, I went and got my GED because I never went to high school. And then when he went to kindergarten, I went to college. I always wanted an education. Like I, I really had a burning desire for an education. And so I went to college and the more I was outside of that because that was the first time I was really outside of that bubble. Like I had had small jobs. I had, but I always felt guilty because we were taught, you know, we should be at home taking care of our house. And like, I really felt guilty for having a job and like the guilt from that upbringing, it, it plagued lots of part of my, lots of, you know, areas of my life for years, even after I was out of that um, religion. Um, that was a hard thing to deal with was the guilt and shame of some of the things I had walked away from feeling like, what if I'm, you know, thinking I'm sinning, but also feeling so compelled to, to, you know, find a different knowing there, there was more, that there was something that I was not, you know, getting um, in that environment. So I did, I left the church, um, eventually got a divorce. Um, and I, I pretty much lost my relationship with my whole family. Uh, it was, I was actually going to ask, um, if mm -hmm. you, if you have a relationship with your family or your parents and I have, 
I have somewhat of a relationship with my mom. My dad just passed in February. Um, I had um, reestablished. I never really lost a relationship with my dad because, like I said, he wasn't religious. And he actually, even secretly, there was times he, like, he would come and, and bring me money and say, you know, don't tell mom. Just take this. But he knew I struggled with three kids as a single mom, even though I had a good job at the hospital. Um, I went into medical imaging and had a really good job, but I'd never been on my own. You know, I never had had to um, navigate that emotionally. Um, so my dad, um, you know, he had his own issues. He's He struggled with alcoholism and the, and a lot of the typical, he was 81 when he passed, a lot of the typical misogynist, you know, all kinds of stuff that came with being a, a older, you know, Appalachian man. Um, and their roles had been super traditional as well, obviously. So, and my mom and mine's relationship, um, it's as established as it's going to be, I think. Um, I will do anything to help her and take care of her. We aren't terribly close. She's still in that religion and we just have a totally different belief system. It's not that I haven't forgiven her or that I think she's a terrible person or anything like that. Like I don't have hold any grudges against my mom. We just don't, we just don't have anything in common. Right. And I've had to get past a lot of stuff and she probably has as far as I'm concerned too. So I don't, I don't know. Right. How many siblings do you have? I have to, I have a brother and two sisters, a brother and two sisters. Were they all married young as well? Yes. Not that young. None of them were under 18, but, um, my, I think they were all around 18 or 19. Okay. They got married. Um, so living, okay. Actually, so you were able to get divorced and you were in it for 15 years. So 31, am I doing the math right? I don't know, 30, 29, 29. Yeah. See my math, chicken math. I do chicken math. Um, so <laughs> I just make up numbers. Um, so anyways, um, uh, I graduated college in July and got divorced in November. I was divorced. I was moved out and everything by November. By November. And then, and you're, are you currently married or did you remarry? Cause I, I think, believe you said you have more children too. I did remarry. Um, I remarried. I have seven children total. Um, mm-hmm. I remarried a couple of years after my divorce and, um, that marriage lasted 30 years. I'm, I'm recently divorced from my husband, but, um, we had two more children. We, I had three when we got married, then we had two more together that I birthed. And then we adopted two from Ukraine. Oh, how awesome. That's awesome. So, um, so thank you for sharing that. Um, so it is, we are a radical forgiveness podcast. So, um, and I know that you live, you are currently in a place of, I mean, it's, it's really beautiful to see you're at peace with all of the things that happened or your parents allowed to happen and, and maybe not feeling protected. And then there's the religion on top of it. So can you share with us a little bit about, you know, maybe some of your memories and how, how you were feeling at the time, um, some of the emotions and feelings that at the time of maybe like when you were getting married and how you felt with your parents or were you okay with it? Or were you angry with them that they allowed it? Or did that come later? 
And then what steps is what steps did you take to um, to be able to be living in peace and forgiveness? Um, I was not okay with it, but I also was not okay voicing that. So not having because at fourteen, um, you know, you don't have you you know most fourteen year olds, especially in the way I was raised. Anyway, we didn't have a voice, right? Uh, so I didn't either. <laughs> I have a point of reference to feel comfortable going to my parents after they said we could get married and backtracking because I did try to backtrack. Um, I went to my my then, you know, fiance um, and said, hey, I don't want to do this. I went to him several times because, my, like I said, when I would go to school and my friends, my teachers and people when I met people that, you know, when I met resistance and people were voices of reason like. This isn't normal. This is not healthy. You can't do this. This is not, you know, you're a kid. Then I would be like, oh my gosh, they're right. I'm a kid. I don't need to do this. I don't want to do this. I don't want to marry him. I don't, I feel obligated because I felt like we had had sexual contact, but I don't want to do this. But so I would go to him and I would tell him, I don't want to do this. I don't want to get married. I'm too young. I'm a kid. I want to go to high school. Um, And he would cry and he would threaten to kill himself. And he would threaten to tell that um, we'd had sexual con that I had let him touch me. And um, like I said, I wasn't forced and it wasn't my parents, but I didn't have that protection. Um, you know, it, it, it was neglectful. I mean, I'll, it, you know, I'm just going to call it what it was because at 13 and 14 to leave your child exposed to an adult man um, to be manipulated um, to have that kind of um, unsupervised access to an undeveloped um, child, right. which nobody's that at 13, 14 years old. That's the whole point with child marriage in this country, which is still legal in 22 states or the 42 states. 20, I wish 20. I oh, wish it's, it's, it's legal in 42 states. 42 oh, states. I thought you said it was in 22 states. Oh my God. I might have said it earlier, but I keep, no, it's 42. 42. It's only illegal in eight states. So okay. um, Michigan is on the verge of being the ninth state. Um, we want a federal law banning marriage, 18, no exceptions. Like 18 in my book's too young, but that's a legal age. You can sign contracts, you can join the military and vote. You know, there's things you can do at 18 that um, is agree. not afforded <laughs> to the child, no matter if their mom or dad says they can or not. Yeah. You know, they can't take their child to the voting booth and say, she's mature, I'm gonna sign for her to vote or right. buy cigarettes or alcohol or go to the military. You know, marriage is the only thing you can do this with in this country. I know and it's it's crazy. Um, and it's not even legally packed, and it's not even it's federally illegal in Pakistan. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah, it should be. I mean, it's <laughs> it should be. <laughs> Most people are surprised by that because they're like, "Oh, you know, I'm not yeah, saying it doesn't happen in remote villages and things, but in, it is a federally it's federally illegal to marry under the age of 18 in Pakistan." Pakistan, yeah. Um, do you have any tips of because you you have been through so much, do you have any tips that you'd like to share that um, helped you get into that place of grace and forgiveness? Yes. First, I had to get really healthy <laughs> and do a lot of work myself. I had to, that was the first, because 
I was, I was angry. Um, I was, when it hit me, when my daughter started getting to that age and when I got the divorce and how I was treated because I got a divorce and how I was held accountable for that. Um, but not given, you know, the proper consideration as a child and that I got into this as a child, but I wasn't able to make a decision to get out of it as an adult. And that I went through a lot of anger and confusion, fear, shame. I mean, all of it for long, too long. And I didn't know how to uh, process it all. I got into my second marriage um, with those wounds unhealed. Um, that was not a direct re reason that we got a divorce. I mean, we over 30 years, we both had done a lot of work. Mm -hmm. um, I had done a lot, a lot of work before this, this divorce is a totally different story, but, um, that I won't go into, <laughs> but, um, I, the first step was forgiving myself the, to do enough healing and enough, um, I want to knowledge, I guess I, I did a lot of studying of what I'd been taught. I had to get to the bottom of things. Like I'm a very, um, I learn, I like to learn. And I'm, the root, right. There's a root cause of everything. Yeah. Right. And, I'm, and I wanted to get educated on where some of these beliefs even came from, like where anything, like even like the, the origins of the doctrine of hell was a big one for me. I did a whole class on it. I took all these history classes, all these original uh, language classes of the translations of the word hell and torment, you know, all this stuff. So I did some deep dives into a lot of things that um, I was still holding on to the fear. So I had to go through a lot of personal growth um, therapy <laughs> um, and to get to the point where I could even peel back enough layers to forgive myself for being a teenage parent for being a traumatized mom and raising my children and being too harsh and being too triggered and, you know, being too, too, too. Plus as a woman, I was taught not to be too, whatever. All, all the things, right? Right. All the things. Um, so learning to get free of that and, um, as much as, as you can, <laughs> right. <laughs> but, um, but that, but there was a lot I've developed over that period of time, the ability to first understand what forgiveness was and what it wasn't was more important to me because I was taught that you forgive people. That means you accept them back into your life. The forgiveness and relationship were the same. When I realized that that wasn't the truth, that was a huge Game changer, right? I, Game I believe changer. I read um, reckon, forgiveness isn't always about reconciliation or you have some something in that like that. And I totally agree. Mm -hmm. uh, we can forgive and it's not necessarily for the other person because you want to go hang out with them. It's yeah. simply for our hearts so that we don't sit with all that ugliness and it grows into the bitterness mm -hmm. and then it develops into all kinds of issues that come out because yep. you haven't dealt with the root of the issue. So I loved reading, uh, I loved seeing that in your um, your questions from the pre-interview questions. So how did you realize, when was that light bulb moment or when did you realize that that 
you don't have to reconcile and that you can forgive without the reconciliation. What did I that look like? In my studies, um, in my uh, religious studies, because even though I'm not, I don't identify as a Christian anymore necessarily um, because, but I've, I'm very intrigued with the Bible and other religious writings, other sacred texts. Um, I've taken a lot of classes and done a lot of um, education, like I said, because that's how I free myself of things is I have to feel like I've arrived at at least some kind of truth. And that goes back to, I'm sure, how I was raised because I was raised, everything was black and white, right or wrong. We're right. Everybody else right. is wrong. We're good. They're bad. Everything was that way. And I had to grow you know, out of that and learn how to, um, how to accept the fact that I didn't have to be in a relationship with everybody. And I don't remember the exact light bulb moment for realizing that um, it wasn't the same thing. Maybe I, I, I'm sure I read it in a book because I read so many books. But, um, <laughs> I'm sure I read it somewhere. And it was like, okay, wait a minute, what does this mean? Like I would go back and, and go through the wording and even in, you know, in the Bible mm-hmm. and use that as my catalyst to say, what does forgiveness really, really mean? Because they would say, you know, well, God, if God forgives you, that means you can go to heaven based, you know, in a simplistic way. Mm-hmm. Um, and if he doesn't, then you can't. So that's how you get in relationship with God is if he, if, if in he, they use, um, that is to achieve forgiveness. And that means that you're back in relationship with God. And I realized, well, number one, I'm not God and that's okay. If that's what they want to do, that's mm-hmm. way above my pay grade. <laughs> right. I totally and I thought logically that can't be true on a human level. Like I said, divinely, that's not my call. Um, my whole set of beliefs doesn't have anything to do with that anymore. I'd have no fear whatsoever of God or hell, or anything like that. None, literally none. And no more than I want my children to fear me. Like I raised my children in an atmosphere of fear. And that's been the biggest thing I've had to get over with myself um, and to forgive myself for and ask them to forgive me for. um, Because I was, I was the same parent that parented me, especially, you know, the younger I was. And then add two more kids on top of the three I had and I had no help. You know, it, it just like, it, it took same. me. I mean, you were a child, so we only know what we know. That's kind of helped me with some of the things that I've gone through in my childhood is knowing that my parents were really young and they did that. You only know what you know. And back when, you know, you were younger and having children, you didn't have Google, right? Google didn't exist. So it's not like we could be like, how screwed up are my kids going to be if I do this, you know, or whatever. And I didn't have role models. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why, why I'm doing what I'm doing is I want to be a role model now. Like I'm not who I was five years ago, even, or yesterday, hopefully, or especially 15, 20, 30, 40. I'm not that person anymore. I feel like I want to constantly evolve and be a better person. And that's what, um, that's when I came to the realization about forgiveness that it was for me and it was not whole. I heard a quote one time. It might've been Rumi. I don't remember, but it was Buddha, somebody, it was some of the, somebody like that, but they said that, um, holding on to unfor- holding on to the pain of what somebody else has done to you or allowed to be done to you 
is, and I'm totally paraphrasing, was like a vessel that held the acid. Mm. It, it only eats the vessel. Like you just got to get rid of the acid. Mm -hmm. It doesn't yeah. have anything to do with the other. It could, it could lead to reconciliation. It could be a catalyst for re reconciliation. Most certainly it's going to be involved in relationships that you want to maintain. There's going to have to be a lot of forgiveness in relationships. If you want to have reconciliation and healthy relationships, absolutely forgiveness is going to have to be part of it. Absolutely. But it's not, it is not relationship and it's not reconciliation. And because there was people, I'll just, that my, my first husband, I'll just take their kid. He has not seen our children, our three, my three older children since our divorce 35 years ago. Oh, wow. And, um, That's I have no podcast. Right. <laughs> <I'm sick. laughs> yeah. I don't have, I'm, I don't like him. Yeah. I will never like that man. Because he hurt my children. He hurt me. He, he was a lot of things I don't admire. I don't, I don't want to see that man again. Right. I don't have any hard feelings against him as far as holding it on to where they hurt me or wishing him ill. I don't wish him ill. I hope he finds healing. Mm. I hope he finds peace somewhere. I don't think anybody should live in, in hell. I believe that's what we create for ourselves. Oh, and I don't wish that on anybody. I feel like the people who hurt other people the worst and who are the worst people are the ones that need the, the bomb the most, the healing bomb, because I know what it's like to have hold that. And I know how, you know, I know what it's like to, cry myself to sleep because I can't forgive myself or other people because I feel like I've been so hurt and I've been such a victim. And I had to step outside of that and say, you know what? I deserve more than that. Mm -hmm. I deserve more than that. They deserve more than that. And that's when I really, to be able to have these tools for forgiveness, one of them is empathy. And for myself, my younger self, my child self, my parents, you know, whoever I've ever had conflict with or been, well, I won't say conflict. We have conflict with everybody. Right? It's healthy. You know, <laughs> right. If you handle it healthy, that's, well, you know, that's part of life. I mean, okay. hurting, hurting people hurt people. Right. And so we're in that wounded space. We don't act necessarily to our best versions of ourselves. And then there's this, um, we, I mean, I always say hurting people hurt people and, and until those wounds are healed. And it's really hard to love people where they're at or to give grace and forgiveness if we're hurting because, mm -hmm. you know, we're reacting. I think it's because they can't see, for me, it was, I couldn't see my way out for my own self. So right. if I can't even have empathy for me and the mistakes I made, then how can I, I can't for somebody else? I cannot. And that's where the hurt people, hurt people come in is if you can't, if you're not healed, Right. then you don't care. You don't want to see other people healed. Right. And, you know, I had to get to the place where I had enough self-awareness that number one, I was worth, I was worthy period, right. period. You know, this teachings, I'm just, this is my own opinion. <laughs> um, but those teachings of, you know, were so unworthy and even the whole, 
I'm going to step on toes right now, but whatever. Uh, like a friend of mine, actually, he's, he's a pastor. I was part of a Quaker church for a long time um, that I had a lot of healing happen in. And the pastor's an author. His name's Phil Gulley. And he wrote a book and it's called If Grace is True. And that book helped me on my healing journey because it hit me. If grace is true, it's true. Like my views of God have evolved and changed over the years. And like I said, I, I'm not religious at all. Um, I have my own spiritual practice. I'm very curious. Um, you know, that's where I am in, in the spiritual realm is I'm very curious and I'm very aware that, that this ain't it in my, for me and in here and that I'm, you know, there's something, there is that of God in everyone. That's what I learned from the Quaker church. And in this book, if grace is true, um, I just come to believe. And then in my studies about hell, um, you know, it's either for everybody or it's not, you either have to earn it or you don't period. And that's very, that's very lightning, <laughs> not enlightening. It's very lightning for your soul to realize I'm safe. Because until we realize how safe we are spiritually with our divine parent, as safe as I want my kids to feel, and my even let's even go farther, my grandkids, because God, you know, we want, I want my grandkids to be, they don't have to have any fear of me. <laughs> right. You know, so if I look at God as my grandparent, it's even better. <laughs> because, and then I'm told, then they're going to even protect me from my parents. <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting people's views. And I know there's a lot of religions and, you know, I, I am a Christian and I do talk about God and, and I don't push my faith and beliefs on other people. And because I don't ever want, because everybody's so different. We're all unique and um, everybody's on their own journeys. And so something that I've learned is, you know, God really is, well, i my belief is God is love and he loves us where we're at. We're all sinners. We all screw up. We all do things wrong. He's the only judge. So then um, it frees us up to be more in a relationship rather than it's, you know, you have to check the box. You have to go to church on Sunday. You have to do this. You have to do that. And when I say I'm not a Christian, and, those are the things I'm, I'm talking about what I'm just, what I, in my mind, I think of as a Christian and how it is most commonly in my experience. Yes. For sure. Right. Presented, especially in my region of the country right. <laughs> and right. even in my upbringing, I don't identify with the brand of Christianity that is so mainstream and prevalent. When I say I'm because not, it's, it's religion. I don't know who Jesus was. I wasn't there. I don't deny, you know, God as a, yeah. I don't, I don't know. I, I, my right. grandchildren, I have a great relationship with my grand, I do with my kids too. Like my kids and I are close. That's but my awesome. grandkids, we talk a lot and they have a lot of questions and I feel comfortable telling them, honey, I don't know. Like they'll say, what happens after we die? I don't know. I've never been dead. But <laughs> right. We can talk about what people believe. We can talk about some ideas and theories. They have great ideas about it. Ask a seven-year-old what happens. Oh my after. gosh, they're so creative. <laughs> wow. And I want, like, I enjoy that. And I think that's what's healthy. And that's when I say I'm not a Christian I'm not a religious church going, you know, Bible fundamentalist. Right. 
believer. And, there, and there's, I mean, everybody's on their own journeys. And that, I mean, I love that. That's one of the reasons I love doing this podcast is there's such a variety of people and there's, I mean, everybody's so unique and different and our beliefs are so different. And so and I, I, respect I, just, that. I respect what people believe. I, if people absolutely. are, I do not respect being judged. I do. I have two gay children. I have two LGBTQ children. I do not appreciate them being persecuted. I do not. That is not anything I'm going to subscribe to or be happy about or have a relationship with people that persecute my kids. No, ma'am. <laughs> so, and unfortunately, like, religion yes. has a bad name and it's, yeah. you know, I really do believe in loving people where they're at. So, but uh, for time's sake, because we are a little bit over our time, um, I really appreciate all that you have shared and thank you. And um, it's very enlightening and we can contact you because you're an advocate for the Resiliency Foundation. Um, and I loved, you know, that you're such an advocate for ending child marriage and, um, and I, hopefully I don't say that. I always say this word wrong, exploitation. I yes. struggle with that word. Um, and so I'm really excited to have gotten to interview you and I thank you for your time today. Thank you for having me. And I want to please, if I'm, please allow me to end with, please contact your lawmakers. Like if we don't do something about this, it's not going to change. And like Dr. Seuss said, unless someone cares a whole awful lot, it's not going to get better. Right. It's not. And I just am asking people to care and to know that this is happening to over 200,000 girls or mostly girls in the last 20 years. Like this is a lot of people and yeah. it affects us economically and as a society, this has an impact on human trafficking and everything, generational trauma. So it is, it is important. And I just hope people realize how much. It so. is important. So I appreciate your time and thank you very much, Kathy. Thank you.